Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the overlap. Rian, I, I just realized this when I hit the record button. Do you want to guess what episode this is? Um, I episode number feel numbers. like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess 96, 97? I think it's 99. I think we've done 97, 98, and I think we are currently recording the 99th episode the overlap has ever created, which uh, obviously is is important because oh, it's 98. No, we are, we're recording the 98th podcast. I was going to say it's important because the Centurion podcast obviously needs to be a La Liga podcast, um, but <laughs> it will not be. It will be anything but that. Anyway, we're on the 98th pod- podcast that we've ever done, which is just kind of sick. So I figured I'd start off with that and thank everyone that's, that's listened to the pod as we kind of approach 100 um, for the support, for listening. Um, for pushing us and questioning us and uh, honestly just making it a fun time for, for Rihanna and I to do this. So thank you. I'll, I will start with a thank you. Um, and if we should all over your club in the next 50 minutes or so, um, that's, uh, that's our only disclaimer is that it's not on us. That's, that's how you club. know that we love you. <laughs> it's, it's our way of showing love. Yeah. And apparently your club's way of showing they don't love you. So yeah. it's neither here nor there, but Rian, welcome back. I, I don't know why I'm saying welcome back to you. I was the one that was basically on a mini vacation last week. Um, went to upstate New York and messed around, uh, classic CC Winston mess around for those that watch new girl. Um, except for it was just me and a couple of friends <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was a good time. It was nice <laughs> to get out of the city and, um, yeah, just, just clear your head. Honestly, did yeah, not go skiing, I, I, but I think last time, last time I, um, we were recording, you were like in this very dark room, <laughs> dark cabin room yeah. that had i think just a singular lamp so i'm at least mm-hmm. happy to see that you're in better lighting this time so. yeah dude i um on the set of texas chainsaw massacre obviously a very big fan of the movie and decided uh, i should spend a week there apparently but no i i do have uh my friend noah to thank for sharing the incredible hospitality for the week get it yeah if if anyone that's listening can get out of the city or the location they are in for a couple of days just to clear your head honestly in, in covid makes a massive massive difference um rian on the other hand has been stuck in the city for uh i think the extended period of all of covid other than a quick trip home so uh yeah i think i'm going to take rian upstate we'll, we'll go on a little date but yeah for now <laughs> there's a lot to do for our days i can't but, wait uh, wow <laughs> You promise? Yeah. What do you? Oh no, that's a, that's a promise. Oh, of course, I don't I don't break those promises. No, I'm fully taking up state. But um, what what else did you get up to this week while I was partially away? Oh, just um, obviously a lot of Champions League watching. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't get to watch a lot of uh Premier League soccer at least on Saturday because I had a family member move into the city and I had to help uh, build some chairs and a table and um those are always fun to do especially when it's not ikea and it's just like some random company and (laughs) there's actually a little bit of intuition in the the instructions and and not just like weird stick figures weird like stick figures that they (laughs) usually have like the animations in ikea like how-to books or whatever you want to call this so yeah, my, my most of my Saturday afternoon was uh was manual labor. So that's Who uh, that's that? 
that's new. Um, not being helpful. Rian is a person. Let me let me preface with that. But Rian doing manual labor is usually not something that I associate with him. So, yeah, don't uh, don't know about that. But I'm I'm glad that everything went well. He moved in. Um, I think Rian went to brunch and went out went to brunch on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you're living brunch. you're living your best COVID life right now. I respect it. But went to there are... a restaurant we hadn't I hadn't been to before, which obviously there hasn't been a lot of that going on up in the last year or so. But even before that, I would like to go out to more places that I've never been to. Um, this place went to Dos Caminos in Soho. It was great. We had a perfect great perfect spot. table, like right under the uh, like not sunroof, but. I guess it, it was kind of, it kind of like a sign. It can't be exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I've, I've sat there. Before. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, but Rian, uh, you said one thing that kind of uh, it troubles me a little bit. It troubles me um, deep down in my soul. Uh, the the phrase I didn't watch that much Premier League football this weekend is uh, is very troublesome for uh, for fans of the podcast, including myself. Meanwhile, I'm a complete hypocrite because I was only able to watch so much too. I could barely watch that league this weekend because I was coming back from upstate. But um, let, let's let's talk about some Premier League though because we I think we both have some, some pretty polarizing thoughts on some of the games that took place this weekend. Most notably, Rian, let's, let's start with the Merseyside Derby. Um, notice I did say Derby, again, an ongoing thread. But again... Not sequitur. Oh, I am not even going <laughs> to respond to it anymore. <laughs> good, good. I'm one. Anyway, Everton winning their first Murrayside Derby since 2010 and their first at Anfield since 1999 in 21 years. Uh, first question, right? Before we get the injury, before we get to the impacts of this game moving forward for both teams, who do you think? This reflected more on or Liverpool. Um, I I think this is reflected. I think it's reflected more on Liverpool. I I think the moment that Jordan Henderson went down injured with a hamstring injury, a non-contact. I you know I don't even know how many that is now for Liverpool, but I think. Once uh, Nat Phillips came on, it was Liverpool's 18th different center back pairing this season, which there's only been 25 games. So uh, to put that in perspective, uh, it was, it's really hard to, to judge Liverpool um, right now. I mean, we talked about issues they, they've been having because of the lineup shifts, having to move Henderson back into center back and, and how other issues kind of opened up in middle in midfield because of that. But at the end of the day, I think it's just at least looking in the Premier League, they are mentally and physically just drawn down, like maybe 50% of where they were in the last, in the two seasons prior. And um, that's obviously really tough to take as any Liverpool fan, and as I'm sure the players and coaches feel too. It's like the drop off. It's so much of a drop off that you can't really say that it's it, it can't be anything to do with the players' ability. It's 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 obvious that they can't be that. This team went on a three year run where they made it to a Champions League final and then recorded ninety plus points in the next two seasons in the Premier League and only won the title the, the second time that they that they amassed over ninety points. So 
I, I think it's just um we talked about those cycles, like three, four year cycles, and it's just it's this it's the end of that for Liverpool, really. Um and it doesn't diminish anything that they did in the last in the three years prior to this, so we should say that. But yeah, it's 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 an somewhat unnatural end to the cycle because of because of the conditions of the world right now. But um, at the end of the day, yeah, that, I think that's that's really all it is um, from the Liverpool side. But we, we should give some credit to Everton too, of course, because like mm-hmm. I said, it's like this. It's twenty one years since uh, since they last won at Anfield, and uh, and a decade plus since they won a Merseyside derby. So. All credit to them, too, for taking advantage of the Liverpool team. Completely, completely. I mean, I, I give Everton a lot of credit for this, and, and I just want to specifically point out Luka Digne, who I think had a wonderful game, arguably a top three left back in England, um, if not in Europe right now. Um, I, I think he's having an absolutely monstrous season, came back from injury and has performed really, really well, and gave Liverpool help on that on that left hand side and i think he's a large part of of why they succeed in this game and i and i don't think it's a fluke at all that everton came out on top i, I think it's a fluke that liverpool won in midweek against leipzig um but like you said rian this liverpool's if you if you had to look at the long-term future of this liverpool side right now right looking at both the contractual situations of their front three and some of their midfield stars right, Juan Yaldum, I think probably most notably, then you start to look at the pieces of the puzzle, not necessarily falling apart, but not matching or being pieced together properly either. Um, I think they've tried to replenish the squad in the same way that they did when they brought in basically Southampton 2.0, but it's it's not the same quality, right? Minamino's out on loan, right? Diego Jota, unfortunately, is still out due to injury, but I, I would argue that maybe he could be a player that could be starting to fa- starting to be phased in as a starting striker um, or potentially a, a proper rotation with Firmino. Um, Shakiri, I would argue, is not a true starter for Liverpool, right? These are players that were brought in to fill a role, right? To to not allow for any drop in quality, but that that's happening. And again, of course, there's an asterisk due to COVID, but every other club is also dealing with COVID, so. That's all I'd say on Liverpool, but I think as we look at COVID and the schedule, right, big part of what happened on Sunday, or Saturday or Sunday, I forget, but over Saturday, the weekend, yeah. Saturday, there you go. Um, Jordan Henderson going off injured due to a muscle indus- industry, industry, oh my God, injury. Um, <laughs> where, where are we with muscle injuries and this Liverpool side? What's our, you know what the tally is? I think it's at least six. I mean, it might be six currently, like throughout the season, <laughs> it could be, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, like I said, it's absurd. It's absurd right now. Um, it's, it's hard to see a long-term Henderson injury and even in, even a medium term, if we're saying three to four weeks, that that's, we really saw the first time that Phillips and, um, uh, Ozan Kabak playing in a pair together, uh, center back pairing, and it doesn't instill a lot of confidence. <laughs> I mean, um, I think even beforehand, uh, many Liverpool fans and and most people who watch would say that they don't believe that Nat Phillips is gonna 
is even what's to say a top four choice for the Liverpool um, first team, like going forward, and to throw in that you're bringing in, that you have to bring in probably your fifth or sixth center back to try to now gel with a 20 year old center back that ideally would be playing against playing with a much more experienced center back partner, um, someone to kind of help him acclimate to the league and acclimate to the way the team plays. And, and he's not going to have that. So the next six months or four months for him for three or four months is going to be really, really difficult, um, especially without Joel Matip for the rest of the season, Virgil van Dijk most likely for the rest of the season, same with Joe Gomez. So I think it's going to be really, really difficult for, for that center back pairing to become comfortable at any point. But one last thing about Everton before, before, um, before I think we just, just touch on Liverpool's um, Champions League focus for the rest of the season. That's only Everton's second win in the last five games. And, and look, uh, that'll be worth like four straight wins, honestly, like that win, as, as it should be, for, as it should be for them. Um, but yeah, I think Everton just really frustrated Liverpool more than anything. And, and they've been doing that with against a lot of teams this year. And they they play very compact. And they, even with James Rodriguez coming back, and I, and I know that Calvert-Lewin was not starting that game. Um, and when he came on, he made a huge difference, as we saw in, the, in him drawing the penalty. But yeah, Everton are the only team in the top 10 with a negative non-penalty expected goal difference. They also have the smallest goal difference in general of any of the top 10 teams at plus four. And they allow the seventh most passes within the 20 yards of their goal. So they, they're kind of a counterattacking team, not even kind of, they are, that, that, that is generally what they are. And um, it'll be interesting to see how, how the rest of the season goes in terms of goal creation for them, because we saw Richarlison step up in this game and, and, score it but that was still the only shot he had the entire game so it, it look at, at this point it, you know they're getting results and that's something that a lot of Everton teams have not done in the past so full credit to Carlo Ancelotti and especially especially the Everton players and, and they're doing this all without Allen for the last few months too I think he's just came back to the bench um these past couple of weeks so so he'll be a big boost in their midfield as well but yeah, I think, I mean, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, Richarlison has room to grow um, because at this point, I think we expected his growth to probably progress a little farther along down the line. Um, but I, I, I think this is one of those moments where it could be a turning point for him, not in just the season, but also his career, right? Scoring essentially the game winner against Liverpool is a massive boost to your confidence. I mean, I don't care what kind of form you're in, right? Derbies, oh, I didn't just say derbies. Darbies, excuse me. Um, they are a whole different beast, as I can tell you from from Classicos, Madrid derbies, et cetera. Um, it, it can do a wonder to his confidence. So I, I think this is probably a very bright spot on what has largely been a disappointing season for him. Um, but last point, Rian, like you said, on Liverpool, as we switch focus, where are Liverpool now in the league as it relates to the Champions League? Uh, kind of weirdly phrased question, but my point is, do, does Liverpool now shift away from the, the Premier League and now just 
solely focus on getting by in the Champions League. So it's a risky bet, but I can see them doing it. You know, my feeling is I don't think that they'll actually shift focus in terms of like the lineups and um, and how they play in, in specific games. I mean, they're still only five points off of fourth place right now. But I do think that there's, I mean, there's so many examples of it where the league season just isn't quite going, isn't going the way that was one expected and two, even remotely as successful as like the Champions League or the Europa League or, or whatever um, other competition is going, especially in tournament play. So more than I think that Liverpool will outwardly kind of shift focus to the Champions League, I do think that the Champions League offers them another competition where they can be like clean slate none of the pressures of the baggage of the Premier League of the season we had prior, none of that is there in the Champions League right now because also they're not like defending champions. They're not defending um, Champions League champions too. So it's a competition that might psychologically um, kind of open things up for them in terms of just releasing pressure. And um, granted, they got, I think they got fortunate in their first leg against Leipzig where um you know they didn't they didn't dominate the game and and granted I, I don't think we could, we would say that they deserve to lose or anything but um but ultimately their two best chances came from mistakes and they did what they hadn't done in their past couple of Premier League games before that which was make fewer mistakes than the other team so it's just a, I That's think it's just a, more like a clean a clean slate I think the Champions League is a clean slate for for them right now yeah, I mean, it helps that they have away goals going back to Anfield. Like, that. that is also a massive... It's a massive, I guess, backup to their their quote-unquote Champions League campaign. Um, I, I think that it would be smart for Liverpool... I, I would say they should focus on the league um, if you're having to choose between both in the first place. The reason why I say you should focus on the league is that you develop consistency. And developing consistency in your run of form and your players' confidence, and I think that your overall style of play as it continues to hopefully get better um, from what would be rock bottom, essentially, um, it it bodes well in the Champions League, right? It, you're, you're less prone to fluke games, whether they're positive or negative, if you're in a consistent run of form. And Liverpool haven't seen that in months. So if you're aiming to win the Champions League, focus on the league because that will provide you at least some level of consistency going forward. I think that's key. So I think that's, um, I think it's all about the Merseyside Derby. Dar- oh my God. Merseyside uh, I can't Derby. believe I said it. Mersey's, <laughs> no, it's Merseyside Derby. Um, but whatever. I'm not, it's not, again, I'm not mad, but let's, Rian, let's move on to Spurs, a team that's sure. I think probably people were saying Mourinho's press conference after after this game was like tense and bitter, but I would say it was one of his most level headed press like after a game. Um, I thought he was just very composed and saying, um, "Yeah, well, we uh, tried, and our coaching staff's great. You know, the players are great, but uh, there are multiple there are multiple levels to football." And I think truer words have never been spoken. I mean, it's all generalities, and he's obviously not going to go through the play-by-play of why they lost. But 
kind of true. And, you know, it, it is kind of true. But <laughs> I think the narrative that we probably want to focus on is the David Moyes redemption arc, because I think that's probably the more entertaining one, um, given that the Hammers are now in fourth place, right? Yeah, they're in fourth. Yeah, that's that's pretty significant. Um, what did you make of this game? I, I just l- let's focus on Spurs for a second. They continue to drop points. I mean, it's almost you're almost not surprised at this point. It's it, they're basically turning themselves or returning themselves into a meme. Um, but I think the one positive that I took away from this is that Gareth Bale isn't a pile of like golf balls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was so Bale came on and. The second half came on for Eric Lamella, who, on a side note, Eric Lamella is the most confusing player for me because on the ball, very attractive on 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 the eye, right? But has almost zero end product and does not decisively affect games at all. In in my opinion, this is again, I I don't watch every single Spurs game, but I think. The resume of being at Tottenham since he was there since Gareth Bale left. He was one of the what, seven guys that came in after <laughs> after Gareth Bale um, went to Real Madrid, and has not at any point in his Tottenham career cemented a spot in the starting lineup on a consistent basis. So he's one of the most confusing players. He's always there, and he's just kind of there. So. That that was a total side rant, but, but he he didn't play well in the first half. And Gareth Bale came on, and I thought, showed some signs of life. I mean, like you said, we were we were pretty um, concerned that he was completely washed. And I think this is there are two good games in a row for him. Um, if you want to throw in the the Europa League game as well, he he, he did look like he he's got a bit left there again we know it's not the same player it, it, it doesn't look like the same player remotely to to the player he was um four years four years ago really um but yeah i, th- I think that had to encourage some time of fans he he got an, an assist he only played 45 minutes but yeah like he's like you said um the slide for spurs continued they're nine points off of fourth place i, I think we're just about at that breaking point where maybe um, Jose Mourinho will just turn the focus to the Europa League because the way they play is still set up decently well to, to make it far into uh, knockout stages and they have the finishers to be able to make it far. So, I mean, they had the best expected goal difference in the group stage, if that gives any more encouragement, but um but yeah, I think I think they're it's it's gonna be very difficult for them to finish in fourth or better. So Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that the teams that are better than them in the Premier League are all in a better position to to finish fourth or I mean above, obviously. Um yeah, I, I don't think Spurs they're sitting in what ninth or tenth now. Um they, they are in some ways reminding me of Chelsea from about a month and a half ago in the sense that they were also down in the table, right? Close to the the double-digit spots. 
um, except for the obvious bounce back is a new coach and a new style of play, right? There, there are multiple things we can talk about Chelsea, but Spurs don't have that, right? It, it's all relatively stagnant and it's not, I don't want to use the word stale, but nothing's going to change between now and the end of the season. So there's no real reason to believe that Gareth Bale is going to become the Messiah and save them the rest of the season. I'm sorry. It's just realistically, it's not going to happen. It's sad because I think that Spurs actually have very talented players on paper. It's just that I don't think they have all of the talented players that they need. I think they're still missing world-class talent. Um, and that's what I think Daniel Levy will hopefully be targeting over the summer <clears throat> in the form of a good center back <laughs> you know, yeah yeah literally yeah, anyone. yeah we know that's that's the biggest need <laughs> that's the biggest need especially um but just to give west ham their credit the david moyes and jesse lingard redemption mm. tour i should throw in before um, before you even go down this route um please tell me you saw the meme i sent you about jesse lingard and ronaldinho because i was dying when oh my I saw god that. no i miss i miss this it's literally a picture of Ronaldinho scoring and celebrating, I think, one of his goals against Chelsea back in, like, 2006. And he's doing the, the like, like Mahalo signs. Yeah. Like, but it's Jesse Lingard's face, which is basically what he's turned into at West Ham. But anyway, continue. I, I, he's been great. Three goals in his first four games for, for West Ham. And, I mean, another example of just, like, fit – and timing is so important for players because the, the, this player existed at Manchester United, of course, right? But a combination of whatever it might be, the pressures, um, the mental pressures of being a Manchester United player, the amount of different coaches that he played under um, in his really important development years, and just generally the availability of being able to play on a consistent basis like he's gonna look like a different player at West Ham and and this doesn't mean that he's gonna be all of a sudden like team of the year um type player right but he's in a situation that is really good for him and and where he knows he's gonna get minutes and he's gonna be relied upon but maybe with not quite the same pressures of being relied upon as a Manchester United player, right? And um, and I think it's just perfect. I'm really really happy for him. Really happy whenever players go from like a situation that was just not good for them and also made them look like a worse player and find a new place. Someone puts an arm around them. They whatever it is, and and all of a sudden look like a player that they kind of flashed a few as at prior places because i think we saw a bit of this um with manchester united especially in his first few years of, of getting run into the starting 11 at united but really happy for him but so west ham since the beginning of the year this is where it gets just very fun west ham second in points third in non-penalty expected goal difference they've beaten everton aston villa and tottenham their only loss since January 1st is been to Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, but overall their record is seven wins, one draw, one loss in their last nine games in the Premier League. So the funniest thing about all of this is their leading goal scorer is still Thomas Suchek, who's one of their 
one of their holding midfielders. <laughs> yeah. Eight goals. Second is Mikel Antonio, who plays as their striker, but is not really a striker at all. He's like, he's played wing back in his career. He's played winger. He's played almost everywhere on the pitch outside of like the center mid. Um, yeah. Eight goals from Thomas Suchek and West Ham are just, just such a David Moyes team. And it, and it's really, really, I don't want to say, it's not always fun to watch. I'm not going to say that, but it's it's really interesting to watch. Well, actually, now that I think of it, you also forgot one pretty big name, um, Sebastian Haller, right? Who now plays for Ajax. Oh, yeah. Um, he has seven goals for, oh for West Ham. <laughs> and what I realized, I, I know he's been tearing it up in the um, Eredivisie um, for Ajax. He has five goals and five assists in eight games for Ajax. So another player also... who just the situation, <laughs> the situation yeah. just needed to change and, and he's in basically. Yeah, basically. That's really funny though. I did not realize that. And also my boy Pablo Fornal is now tied for goals with Jesse Lingard is just putting him to shame. But anyway, that's again, neither here nor there. But yeah. All, all the credit to, uh, like you said, David Moyes and, um, and West Ham as a whole, because, you know, they feel like always a team that's underachieving con- considering the air one, they're a London club and they have, they're now in one of the biggest stadiums in the country. And you know, that they're, that they're sh- they should be more competitive. And, and it's nice to see that they're over um, exceeding expectations, overperforming their expectations really. So, yeah. Hats off. Hats off to David Moyes. He's got the perfect team. This is this is the perfect team for him, too. That timing and fit thing matters for, for coaches, too, I think. So. We'll, also, we'll, we'll also see what happens with Declan Rice over the summer because that could throw a wrench in things. Of course, of course. Um, but and it's always now, a possibility, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For now, he has the perfect team. And um, yeah. honestly, I think West Ham are basically doing what we expected Wolves to do uh, last year and to this year. So props to West Ham. Um, but with that, we're going to take a quick break and bring it back, talking a little Arsenal and uh, the Death Star, Manchester City. All right, Rian, let's get right to it. Let's talk a little Arsenal and Manchester City. As uh, you so duly noted in the outline, the Death Star continues to just absolutely plummet and take care of anything in its path. In, in its path. Um, so what did you make of this game? I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts more so even on Arsenal uh, than Manchester City. But let's start with the winners, of course, Manchester City in <laughs> somewhat of a lackluster win, uh, if I if I kind of have to say. I mean, 1-0 did not absolutely at all reflect the way this game went, especially for basically the first 30 minutes of this game. Um but yeah, what thoughts on Manchester City's performance, where they are? Um, do they, I mean, are, they're obviously league favorites, but maybe we should talk about the Champions League in a little more seriousness. Yeah, I mean, look, I think overall from the Arsenal side, pretty average performance. Um, honestly, I don't think they necessarily played poorly. I thought obviously they defended poorly, um, especially on the on the Raheem Sterling goal. Um, really poor defending, really poor marking. What What was that? I mean, 
I, I have no clue. Um, it was Actually weird. To, it was weird that Gabrielle did not start this game, and, and that felt really like a a huge mental shift. Not even mental, a legitimate shift to the Europa League for Arsenal, um, for Mikel Arteta especially. Uh, so, you know that that Arsenal side, like I said, very average. I thought, but City just controlled the game, and and, and this is what they do now. Whereas it felt like last season, this they'd have these games like this, and they were still so susceptible to counterattacks that these games would end one one, maybe. And, and and even if they did win one nil, you would really feel like they kind of got away with it. But you don't feel like that at all now, um, especially in this game because they they're up one nil and they should have made it two or three at least, right? But at the same time, they were never really posed a threat on the counter, and I think that's like one of the reasons why I feel like, yeah, we should speak about them in even a more serious manner than usual for the Champions League, or at least in a more serious manner than two and a half months ago, right? Um, but, but at the same time, right, like I think to your point, yes, they did not pose, or I, I guess they did not score, right, the second, third, even fourth goal entirely possible, but you never really thought that this was a game that they were going to drop points from after the right. first five minutes. I mean, it was over mentally after the first five minutes, unless someone pulled something out of a hat. But I think that's kind of the feeling that I get with City. I, I don't mean to interrupt you. Go like just go ahead. But like all I was going to say is like with City, that that feeling of domination and just almost soul crushing dominance really from them is I think what what's giving them a lot of life. Yeah, yeah, I think you got it right. Like soul crushing dominance. It's like death by a thousand cuts with them. Like so to, just to get onto like the Champions League part of this, right? It's I think if we're talking about their best chances to win the Champions League, um I think we have to really look at comparing this season to the 2017-2018 team that amassed 100 points. And it was probably the best, I mean, it's probably the best Premier League team of the last decade, uh, just to just to put that as the first marker. we I think we don't have time to argue <laughs> a, a grander scale, but... Um, Liverpool are still pissed, by the way. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that, that that's the best, <clears throat> the best Premier League team of, you know, the recent history, right? And just comparing them to that team does this team have a better chance to win the champions league than that team and just looking at the numbers from that year their non-penalty expected goal difference is lower this season although again here's where the difference is i feel like in their playing style is that their non-penalty expected goal average has decreased they are allowing more passes for the more opponent passes within 20 yards of their own goal and they are also pressing at a much lower rate their passes per passes allowed per defensive action is almost 60 percent higher this season than it was that season and and we've talked about a lot of teams are not pressing as much but for cities this is especially pronounced for them because i think you can see it now they almost always have five guys in position to stop any counterattack. 
and I just think there's there's a balance in this team that is different from the past teams. Not saying that any, not saying that the hundred point team um, didn't have balance, but we saw what happened when they faced Liverpool in the quarterfinals that season. They got blown away in the first thirty minutes. They were down three 0 because they couldn't handle the counter press. And I think this team is better set up. Not necessarily because of the players, but I think because of the way they play. They are better set up to defend counters. Completely agree. Um, I I don't know if they're necessarily... Okay, yes, they are actually better set up to to defend counters. But what I think more importantly, and probably the complete opposite of what Pep wanted to achieve, is the fact that they don't necessarily have the legs to go up and down the field the way that they used to two years ago. I think that Pep, in all likelihood, if he had his perfect way would probably be stubborn enough to continually push up and down the field, right? Running 10 to 15 kilometers per player per game and basically tucker them out with the, the Google press essentially. Right. But now I think with COVID and the fact that he has a somewhat limited squad in terms of depth, right. Compared to again, two years ago, probably woke up along the line and said, huh, yeah, I don't think we can do that for uh, every three days. I think it's physically impossible. Um, but yes, I, I also think part of it is tactically they are circulating the ball faster than any other team, right? That they come up against. I mean, statistically, they are they are passing it and circulating it um, in terms of time of possession per play, way way higher than I think any other team in the Premier League. So it. It, this team just feels like it can suffocate you, but maybe not in the same way that the team a few years ago could. The, it, it's it's two different teams, and I would take the the team from two years ago, like nine times out of ten, just purely because of how dominant it was. I mean, it's again dominance at a different level, and it's soul crushing. But this this season, I think what's more impressive about a couple years ago is consistency, right? I mean, they went on a tear Manchester City a few years ago, right? Between basically this period and the end of the season, but they have a chance City to now almost beat that run of form. They already have, right? They're 18 games yeah. unbeaten, so they have already beaten that record that Pep set. Um, which is complete side note, but Bayer Leverkusen, who they play obviously in the Champions League, uh, tweeted after they broke that record of 18 games unbeaten, um, and their tweet in response to that was just, well then. <laughs> so, <laughs> good, luck, good luck to them. Um, but yeah, I think the more impressive thing about this Manchester City side in 2021 is consistency at a higher level, and I think probably more impressive about the 2018 side was, well, the fact that they got to 100 points, um, albeit still had their ups and downs. Yeah, and and I think for the for the Champions League run, I still think that f for them to win it, I still it's it's just maybe it's just me, but I still feel like Aguero, Sergio Aguero, has to play an important role. Um, and and something really funny came up in the pregame leading up to the Arsenal Manchester City game in Mikel Arteta's pregame um, press conference. He he said that he thinks he's like this is basically what 
Pep has wanted to do with Manchester City for a while now in terms of this playing without a striker, <laughs> playing without a recognized striker, right? And um, I, I just found that really interesting because it's always felt like it's always felt like Aguero was more or less indifferent in the eyes of, of Pep Guardiola in the past. Um, a lot of games, especially in the first couple seasons where Aguero wouldn't start for just like tactical reasons. And that was pretty much it. And just not seemingly getting quite the credit. I think a lot of times from, from Pep as well, because I think he always wanted him to press more, but it's it's really interesting. I think I think that even with Aguero coming back, I think there's a possibility that Guardiola's favored eleven is not going to have him in it, and and I think that'll get more and more uh, testy as they get further in the competition. And so, you know, it's, it's just my personal opinion. I feel I, I feel like Sergio Aguero, he is kind of like the missing link of putting them totally over the top for me as, as Champions League favorites. I think they are the favorites at the moment, by the way, but in terms of feeling like a very safe bet, and I should also say that you know, 538 still has them as as the the uh, favorites. They have them at 41% chance to win the final. Uh, okay, so... to be fair, they also had Barcelona in second at 13%. So They did. They did. <laughs> mm, let's, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> they did, they did, and we and we've talked we've talked about the um how they've kind of modeled in the past, but just comparing it to this this same time three years ago in the twenty seventeen eighteen season. At this point, that year, uh, five thirty eight had Manchester City at a seventeen percent chance to win the final. So this probably says more about the rest of the competition in Europe than. It yep. does about City's dominant run, which has been dominant. But um, th- it's hard to find a lot of consistency in the league leaders around Europe right now. As we saw this yeah. past weekend, Bayern Munich dropped points again. This time they lost. I, I tried Frankfurt after last week. They drew 3-3 with um, Bielefeld. It's a relegation battle candidate. So, <laughs> and, and also PSG won... lost to Monaco. And PSG losing to Monaco. PSG sitting third in, in, in Ligue 1, right? Like, even after that great win against Barcelona, there's still a lack of consistency in that team, right? So, I, I think it feels like almost by default that Manchester City have to be the favorites right now. So, But, look, I, I'm I'm done with trying to uh, predict the Champions League at all because I, I, thought there was, I thought that two years ago, there's no way that City team could have not gotten past Tottenham three years ago. I, I found it amazing what was happening at Anfield. <laughs> and and then, obviously, last year with what happened um, in Lisbon against Lyon for City. When, it, when, again, they probably – that was probably, again, yeah. one of their top three chances of being able to win it. So it, it's – I don't know. I don't know anymore. I don't know. But but they're, they're probably the favorite. <laughs> they, they probably are. I, I would largely have to agree with that, but – if I'm putting up, let, let's put it into a semifinal context, for example, right? Let's assume PSG and Bayern, for instance, are, are there. Um, I don't know if I'm taking City over two legs, just on, on two, two one-offs against PSG and Bayern. I, I'm not saying that they wouldn't 
win. I'm just saying that I don't know if I'm taking Manchester City because I think one of the key things right about like PSG, for example, is their absolute ridiculous counterattacking talent. Um, I mean, one of them against Barcelona, they, they don't do it very often right now under Pochettino, but what they did was just kind of, kind of mind-numbingly fast. And also, I've been used to watching uh, Sergio Busquets, who moves like a grandmother. <laughs> so, again, it's it, it's apples and oranges a little bit, but that's the only thing that, you know, might scare me a little bit about Bayern and PSG is that their, their counterattacking ability against a somewhat slow, right, Manchester City midfield. That's back. I, it's it, it, it's all it's one of multiple yeah, variables. Yeah, anything can happen. I I honestly I I think more likely than not, only one of those three teams is going to make it to the semifinals. So, I I, I, no, I, would, I mean you're you're 100 percent right. We're going to win four nil in Paris. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Couldn't sure. <laughs> no, but again, good good shout, good shout. I I respect it. Um, but yeah, let's. Let's move on, Rian, because Manchester City are, are going to come and kick us out in a second because they're just ridiculous right now. But anyway, um, let's do a quick Premier League roundup then, I think, right? Leicester, of course, beating Aston Villa somewhat impressively, I'll say, over the weekend. Um, United just <laughs> taking an absolute dump on Newcastle's hopes and dreams as just the football club um, after a terrible first half. Um and meanwhile, Chelsea, which I think is the most interesting one of these three kind of ties over the weekend, also dropping points against Southampton over the weekend prior to their Atletico Madrid tie. So, Rian, why don't we start with Leicester for a second? Beating out Aston Villa, what did you make of, of this Leicester side? Um, it, somewhat of a cagey match, but also felt like Leicester had pretty good control over this. Yeah, I think I think cagey... It, it, it's a bit... It was pretty even, I think, in the second half, but... Um... But Leicester are just showing quality. Like the the two the two goals, like quality quality finishes, especially from James Madison. And I think, you know, Harvey Barnes, his finishing and ball carrying ability, the, the increases in that this season has made him just so much more decisive and and so much more of an impact in the final third. Increase in progressive carries, an increase in carries into the final third and carries into the penalty area compared to last season. He also has more miscontrols and dispossessions than last season, but I think that kind of just suggests that he's trying to dribble in more risky areas of the field this season compared to last. So him plus James Madison, his eight goals, eight goal contributions, five goals and three assists since January 1st. Like those two players are carrying um, Leicester right now in terms of an output stance and as we said before, they they show that they can win in many different ways, and um, I really think they've got great staying power. This is probably a great time to to quickly plug our our newsletter that's coming out this Thursday that uh, will be the first post around um, Leicester and their and their progression in the last four years, well, five seven years really since they since they joined the Premier League. So, yeah, I think I think another game where. I think Leicester showed me something a little different. Like they didn't dominate Aston Villa, but at the end of the day, their two goals were just from really high quality finishes and really high quality play in the final third that on a day where Aston Villa were missing James, um, Jack Grealish, they couldn't match that level. 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, like you, like you said, it was, again, cagey and somewhat even in the second half especially. But again, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I didn't really feel like this was a game that would completely get away from Leicester. Part of it <laughs> probably shouldn't be due down to recency bias because that's happened a lot in, in the past couple of months. But I don't know. I, I just felt like this Leicester side with Indeedy kind of forming the way that he did as, at somewhat of a, an Indeedy-esque level I, I thought I thought that this was somewhat a, a little more comfortable than usual for Leicester, um, and, and I think a large part of that also again is down to the fact that Jack Relish was not in this game. Uh, so, yeah, just just something to think about with Leicester. I mean, they needed a they needed a win against a, a good side. I will say um, they definitely need that. Well, well, we should say this was right off of this is off the back of the three one win against Liverpool last the weekend prior. Where right. they turned that game totally on its head, um, mm-hmm. in the matter of of t- what seven minutes, they were down one nil, and then they were up three so, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah th- again, a- another different kind of win for them. Yeah, and and I think just a lot of it's really ticking off the boxes and like a team that can win in in a lot of different ways. And um, I don't think we could have said that about them last season. So props to them. Um, from there, at least. We should touch on Manchester United, who <laughs> went up 1-0, which is yes. not normal for them. They don't usually score first. <laughs> but then uh, Alan St. Maximin scored a really good goal for, for Newcastle, and he's like the brightest, the only bright spot of that team. Oh, him and Miggy, him and, and, and Almiron. Um, the only two bright spots, the only two players who actually like try to do good things on the ball, try to do attacking things on the ball. Um but in the end of the day, United again, Bruno Fernandez again, uh, um, Marcus Rashford drawing a penalty, and just those two players just um, really carrying the team. And it's only their second win in their last five games in the, in the league. And that Newcastle loss plus Fulham's win versus Sheffield United has put a really interesting little glow on the relegation battle down there too is you know Fulham were sitting I believe it was about eight points off of survival um just a few weeks ago so they're now only three points back and that's been made a lot interesting down there I don't think we're going to get a, a title race but in the least fourth place and the relegation look like they're going to be where the um where the excitement is for the rest of the season I think First off, I don't even want to focus on United. I should say that, but I am going to have to because of this game. Because of this game. Um, United were probably the most non-United side this, uh, this weekend. I, I think that United are not the team that I would pick to come from one uh, dr- being drawn 1-1 and to go 3-1 up. I do think, however that this was the most Newcastle-esque performance, right? Which is leading them towards that relegation spot in being able to draw a draw level with United and eventually then go on to lose 3-1. That, that in a nutshell, I think, encompasses what happened this game is that the ultimate downfall of this Newcastle side, um, it, it was completely on them. Right, the onus was on them, and I think United found a lot of space in the half channels again, or the half spaces um, in between the channels, and at some point, I think talent just took over. 
in this game. So, yeah, Newcastle are not in the best of spots. I think that their game against Southampton was somewhat of a fluke because clearly that won't be happening anytime soon, I don't think. So, yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that for now and then we can move on to Chelsea. <laughs> well, speaking of Southampton, um, Chelsea went to the South Coast and drew with Southampton this past Saturday. Um, in a game where, I mean, Ch- Chelsea totally dominate the first half and on Southampton's really first attack um, Kurt Zuma's out of position uh, playing in the back three which I just don't think he's very comfortable playing in and uh, hats off to to Minamino who's on loan from, from Liverpool really his only touch in the penalty box I think in, in the entire day and uh did a great move to sit down both Aspilicueta and Edouard Mendy and a really, really clean finish. And from there, I mean, I, I, I think the biggest thing that let Chelsea down and what makes me um, not extremely optimistic for the tie against Atletico Madrid is I'm really impressed by how much Chelsea now are able to consistently get into the final third and, and find space there, but the execution in the final third, especially in the first half against Southampton, was really poor. And and it's hard to to uh to try to point to something that shows that too, because those don't really show up in the stat book that much. You know, getting into the final third and then the pass being off, the last pass being off, or it might be slightly behind, so it completely cuts the momentum off of of a run. Or you know, just not making the right decision, um, even. So I, I think the decision-making and actual execution in the final third is just not where it needs to be right now. And um, and I think as the season goes on, we can speculate on whether it's about the actual quality of the final third players or, you know, it's just a team that's still gelling in a sense or, or still getting used to being in those situations consistently and, and figuring out what to do in the, when they get to the final third and and how quickly to do it a lot of the times too so it, it doesn't it didn't leave me with a lot of confidence going to the atletico madrid game um but i just think execution is the most important thing for this for this chelsea side right now yeah it's um i i don't I will actually spend a second just not actually talk, focusing on execution because I think you hit the, the nail on the head with the first half of that Southampton game. But I want to focus more so on how they approach this Atletico game after dropping points the way they did against Southampton, right? If you are not going to take your chances against Atletico at midweek, you're going to end up getting burned. Not not you're going to end up not scoring and you'll have another chance. You're going to get end up getting burned. Because I, I, I think that the consistency of which Luis Suarez, João Felix, Marcus Lorente have been combining and scoring up until I would say maybe the last five games, which is a second part of what I was going to say, um, that aside, have been scary. And they should be scary for this Chelsea defense who I think, in, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, get exposed more so than they should on the flank. And... 
I'm not saying that Luis Suarez is all of a sudden going to turn to <laughs> Usman Dembele on the on the wing. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that Chelsea are susceptible more so, I think, than than they think on the counter, and even more so, I think, on the wings, or I should say, in the, from the fullback positions, especially against a high quality side like like Atletico. So as much as you can talk about execution and actually firing and getting your chances away, right? I I think that there should also be an emphasis around the defensive part of this game because Luis Suarez has 16 goals in La Liga. He, I believe, had I think it's 17 shots on goal or 16 shots on goal to create those 16 goals. Um, so be careful with that. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Two sides to the coin. Yeah, it's it's never a great feeling when you're you know your team's about to play Atletico Madrid, who have been like you said extremely efficient this season. And as a fan of a team that. I know one of the two one of the two biggest problems has been the efficiency in the final third and uh, it doesn't bode well I'll say that but uh, who knows the game's tomorrow we'll see we're we're talking Monday night here um, games tomorrow afternoon and like you said yeah Chelsea's gonna need to take their chances at the end of the day they need to execute in the final third and we can talk our mouths off about formations about uh pressing about all this other stuff but at the end of the day if you get into the final third and and taking too long to make the pass passing the wrong player over hitting or under hitting the pass those those won't show up in the highlights for the most part so so (laughs) it's hard to like look at the highlights and know and and see that happen and be like oh well that's really what happened but that's that's like you said that's going to burn them and um and at the end of the day yeah if 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 tournament play punishes anything it's a lack of efficiency yep 100 percent. you basically said it right on the head and yes we can talk all day about tactics etc formation um but i will say if timo Werner and olivier Giroud do not start together in a striking partnership you've already lost the tie i'm just saying You've already lost. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I might slightly disagree with that, but, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> touche, touche. Well, I think that wraps up all the Premier League ties as well as a little bit of uh, how Rian's feeling ahead of the Chelsea Atletico tie, which I believe to say the word is nervous. So, <laughs> Rian, with that, I think we'll wrap up. Good luck tomorrow. I'll be watching. I, have, I will try and book out time on my calendar so no one can bother me. Um, but I will definitely be keeping tabs either way. So thank you guys as always for listening and we will be back very soon. Talk a little La Liga. Thank you guys. And once again, another shameless plug for a newsletter. We'll be, uh, we'll be putting the link in the audio description to subscribe and hope the people enjoy it. Thanks guys.